Hi, my name is Grant Oliphant, and welcome to Stronger Than This. This is a special podcast series of candid COVID-19 related conversations. It is not our regular We Can Be season. Stay tuned for that later this year. The Stronger Than This series is recorded remotely with a quick turnaround time from recording to release and with minimal editing. These episodes give a unique, unvarnished opportunity for deeper insight into the current crisis. You'll hear from those on the front lines of the virus crisis and of other crises as they share firsthand experiences, challenges, victories, and what they see for the long road ahead. Our guest today is Emmy-winning composer, in-demand director, photographer, and respected mentor, Ime Alaquiva. Ime is CEO of media production entity Ya Mom's House, which has produced work for clients including Wiz Khalifa, The Roots, Martha Stewart, NBC, and yes, the Heinz Endowments, I'm proud to say. He serves on the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. He is a dedicated husband and father with an impressive social media presence. His photography is front and center in his ongoing Optic Voices project, which has opened eyes to race, to equity movements, to oppression, homophobia, and xenophobia. Yume's camera has been working especially hard during these past few months, creating a record of life during COVID-19, as well as the protests that have brought attention to the Black Lives Matter movement, especially in the wake of the killing of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis. He is a positive force who is using his art and his voice to expose truths, and I am interested in his take on life at this particular moment in time. Yume, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me, Grant. I appreciate you, man. I, I apologize for the long intro, but it gets longer every time I interview you because you got a lot going. <laughs> you got a lot going on, and it's always so fun to be with you. You know, you're just this amazing force, and you have been since I first met you, at least in my life. I love who you are, and I love what you stand for. And I I want to start out by saying thank you for the spirit that you put out into the world. Well, you know, I, I received that grant. You know, my heart underscored. Uh, a lot of great organizations and the makeup of a great community in Pittsburgh. So I appreciate what you contribute as well. You and I actually booked this interview before the murder of George Floyd. Mm. So we were going to talk about life during COVID-19. And you and I wanted particularly to talk about that from an artist's perspective and also to get into uh, race disparities as well, of course, because that's part of the story. Sure. But then this other thing happened and life has changed. I, let's start with you. How are you doing? Grant, I'm not okay. And it's okay to not be okay, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, we get into these fixations that we need to be tough. We need to be, you know, the big men on campus being strong. But what we need to realize is that we can be strong by being vulnerable. Mm. And right now, Grant, I'm vulnerably strong. I'm thankful for my family and the circle that I have around me. But I am not okay with the elements that's going on in America that is sort of trying to shape this new narrative. And I've cried on several occasions in the past couple of weeks, and I'm not scared to say it because you are not human if you are not touched by some of the elements that have been thrown at us, some of the radical particles that have been placed in our lap. If it hasn't been tough to process these radical particles, 
something is really, truly going on. So I'm not okay, but I am optimistic that we can get through this. And out of everything that's been going on since 1619, for some reason, the blood cells in my body are moving differently with this particular situation. Like this hits different. Mm -hmm. You know, this is an important notion and it gets to how we navigate a moment like this. And thank you, by the way, for your vulnerability and your authenticity around this. I think it's a really important statement and I want to honor that and your, your truthfulness about how you're feeling. But it's interesting that you also sense that something's different in terms of the response to this particular incident. You know, if you watched the video, you can't unwatch it and you can't stop watching it. And there was something about George Floyd's spirit evaporating Mm -hmm. in 4K resolution. Right, right. Here's a grown man, Grant, Mm -hmm. that is telling you that he can't breathe. Mm -hmm. He's in handcuffs. He's on his belly. And then there's a human being stopping his oxygen supply. Yeah. What tore me to shreds in my heart was this grown man, despite his mother transitioning two years ago, Mm -hmm. she passed away, Grant. He called out to his mother. Yeah. Yeah. It was. There's something about knowing that your spirit is about to transition to another dimension Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where everything drops and you literally call on the only thing that is left in your heart to call out to. And it was his mother. Yeah. That hits home as to your point. So did the video and the video captured something so elemental. You're by nature, an optimistic person. How are you maintaining your optimism? How are you feeling about that at the moment? And your, you know, your yeah. innate hopefulness. Shout out to Julius Boatwright from Steel Smiling. He's doing some exceptional work surrounding how important therapy is, right? Mm. And what allows me to be optimistic at these times, at these dark valleys that we we have to navigate through, is art. Like this is my therapy. You know, when I'm having tough times, when I'm having rough days and uh, Grant, when I go out to these protests and I put together, you know, these films and these crystallizing digital elements, I don't do it from a sense of this is my job. This is what I do. When our children ask us the question, what did you do during these times? Because we're all going to get the question. Right. We got to have an answer for them. So when I go out and I do these projects, I do it from a very therapeutic standpoint. And I extract the positivity and the therapeutic benefits out of doing for others. I will continue to produce the truth through a piece of glass. Because that is my pen. That is my sword. That is my bat when we show up in the alleyway and it's ready to to pop off. I'm not going to build foam boards with sayings on it. That's not the way I fight. Right. I don't fight that way. And I never fought that way. I always fought through the arts 
and through transparent digital media. So powerful. I I also think you captured something really critically important there. There's a notion that one of the best ways to get over what we're feeling and the pain we're suffering from is to help another human being. Is art for you an expression of how you try to help? Yes. You know, when you think about it, Grant, we're in this life to borrow everything. Mm-hmm. When you are on earth, you are borrowing everything. So right. you have to make the best out of what you borrow in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Artistically, you have to borrow and contribute to what you borrow. When you go to the local library and you take out a book, you are borrowing a book, but it is your duty to extract the information and apply it and fossilize it for your mission. Mm. It's very similar to art. You have to make the best of what it is that you want to do, master it, and then give it back out. So I want to talk about a couple of pieces of art that you've done because I think they capture the spirit of what you're talking about. The Grown Folks video that came out before all of this happened just a few months ago really captured a sense of the frustration that is being felt and also the hope that is alive. Tell us a little bit about what inspired that video and would you set it up for us? Yeah, yeah. Um, Shout out to Masai Turner and Achilles Soon who uh, are the individuals that create the group Grown Folks, which is, I like to consider hip-hop for grown people. You know, they don't curse in their music. There's, you know, very positive molding with their messaging, very strategic messaging. They came to me and said, hey, Ime, we have this song called Grown Folks. We shot with a couple different directors. We love their work. However, we're just not getting kind of what we need. So I said, listen, how about we do something that gives back and that adds to what's going on now? You know, we agreed to going to different locations. And how about we give back? How about we go to Giant Eagles and just pay for somebody's groceries for no reason? So what if we get kicked out? If we get kicked out, all right, cool. How much is the bill? $250? let us go. Let's roll up to a gas station. Stay in your car. Let's pay for the gas. And then let's buy all this food. And then let's donate it to the Light of Life mission right. down on the north side. Because, I mean, you already know homelessness hits me hard. So I said, let's do that. And we, we filmed these different things. And then here's the other thing. How about I edit the video as if it's alive on Instagram? Hmm. When you look at the video, it looks like you're going on Instagram and looking at somebody's IG live in order to really gather that palpable connection with the times that we're in. It went viral. It was received very well. This is the power of the arts at a time like this. And during COVID-19, this pandemic, where would we be without music? Where would we be without paintings? Where would we be without poems and movies? Art is catalytic to the time we're in. Well, you've actually posted about this. And one of the things, I have one of your quotes here that it amplifies it nicely. If you think the arts are useless, you wrote, Try to spend your quarantine time without music, books, poems, movies, paintings, and photos. I profoundly agree with that. I think, you know, the bland word that we use in this society is content. Yeah. But what it really is, is stuff that touches your soul. 
And I think the grown folks video exemplified that. I think we're all experiencing this. We're looking for things that can feed us because we're so uncertain and and insecure in this moment. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen. What do you see in the months ahead for the artistic community? You know, I think there's been a lot of creativity because of COVID. I think Mm -hmm. there has been in the context of the anger that society is currently feeling, but we've still got a a year of of uncertainty around COVID ahead of us, at least. And we've got deep uncertainty about what will happen with the economic fallout from that and with all of the issues related to civil rights and human rights in our country. Yes. Where's art going to be in this mix? All right. Here we go, Grant. If you do not come out of this better, you weren't doing what you were supposed to do. Mm. I'll repeat that. If you do not come out better from this time, you weren't doing what you were supposed to do. This is a crucial time in American history where you can really create that book or shoot that movie or build that script or work on that painting that you wanted to do or create relationships with family members that, you know, you haven't created relationships, period. Because let's be real, four months ago, a lot of us were letting life get in the way of living. And now we have this pocket of time to say, hey, listen, even though we're going to moonwalk, even though it's going backwards, if you do it right, it looks great. (laughs) So a lot of artists need to figure out what their moonwalk looks like because we have so much time on our hands and pandemics perpetuate purposes. Hmm. This pandemic perpetuated my purpose more than ever before. I've heard people say that as they've debated that point, that is both right and it can be unkind to people who are feeling deep distress and anxiety and mental health challenges during this time. And how with somebody who's struggling with their creative capacity, but just almost have to muster the energy to get out of bed in the morning, how do you help them think about the statement that you just made. So so here's the thing. Of course, I understand that. I'm extremely sensitive. My wife is bipolar. She helps me to understand the sensitivity that surrounds mental health. So right. I deal with it on a direct basis 24 hours a day. Yeah. So, you know, I say that out of positivity and out of us realizing that, you know, we could get to that next level regardless of what adversity faces us. And we can't look at this as an L because if you bend an L long enough and strong enough, eventually you can get a W out of it. If you bend it the right way. Yeah. My wife has taught me that in witnessing, you know, kind of her adversity and her being better than ever before today than she ever was. Right. So I understand how to dance around that, but also how to help others and how to let them know that there are multiple resources where we can get out of this and we can get through this together. Yeah. And I don't want people to use this COVID as a conqueror. That's just one more way of letting life get in the way of living. Is Period. Point. Letting life get in the, in the way yeah, of living. Yeah, yeah. We will beat this, Grant. Right. We've overcome almost every adversity that 
we faced as a nation. We will get through this too. I'm not going to speak about the leadership because I'm not going to get all political. That's not what this is about. But we will get through this stronger than we ever have. And it's important to acknowledge we do have toxic and bad leadership at a moment in history when we need something better. But I think what you're pointing out is that that calls on us to be better. Period. We got to remain optimistic. We got to remain open. And we have to be more inviting than we ever have been in the history of our country. Right now in 2020, Kobe, COVID, George Floyd, we're only six months in. But that is no excuse to not put together a strategic plan to reshape the narrative of what America looks like. You actually serve on the Pennsylvania Council for the Arts. So you have a personal view into how the economic fallout of COVID-19 is affecting the arts community. Yes, indeed. Um, As I understand it, that Southwestern Pennsylvania is probably losing upwards of a million dollars in in the Council of the Arts funding as a result of this. What is the impact on the arts community likely to be as a result of the pandemic? So, you know, we, we definitely face some adversities. We definitely, the state froze one million in arts funding. All 67 counties are are feeling the blow. What we are doing in order to sort of orbit around this situation and what we feel is necessary to cover is the fact that we are making decisions, you know, with our new strategic plan that surrounds and supports uh, social justice, which has everything to do with how we fund in building our new strategic plan, in addition to providing abundant resources for arts organizations and groups on how we're going to get to the next year. Let's be honest, much of 2020 is a wrap. (laughs) Right. Like, start planning for 2021. Yeah. Even if they came out with a vaccine tomorrow, Grant, that's why I'm on a lot of committees right now to help bring about how we're going to get through this through artistry. Pittsburgh Council on the Arts, that's good. That's fine and dandy on the statewide level. But on the local level, I'm connecting with organizations like the NAACP and how we can reshape a new NAACP and how we can use digital media products and artwork and art platforms in order to bring about awareness. We're doing documentation with One Hood Media in the fact that they are doing a lot of town halls, but also physically they're getting masks by the mm-hmm. thousands and distributing it amongst Western Pennsylvania. That's important to document. With my arts education program, Hip Hop Unlocked, even though we're not in schools, how do we reshape and create content that not only could be used in one school, but could be used educational-wide? How do we use digital and art products in order to encourage people the importance on voting? And how do we partner with organizations like the Alliance for Police Accountability? Mm. I think that is how we can help get out of this brunt of the fact that we did lose a million, but where do we gain equity in other areas? What do you want foundations like the Heinz Endowments to remember, just as you would hope the PA Council on the Arts would remember? What do funders I hate that term. But what what do what do they have to would you hope they would remember given your perspective 
as an artist and as a black artist and as a person with a broad perspective on what's happening with the arts in our community in America? Absolutely. So what I want funders to really, really understand is that, you know, when it comes down to situations like this pandemic, no one had the blueprint. Mm. Organizations, funders, nonprofits, artists alike, myself. So what I want funders to really recognize is the sensitivity in the importance of the arts and how the arts ties in to the ecosystem of how everything works. Mm. You know what I realized, Grant, during this pandemic? We got busier than ever before Mm. because individuals started to finally realize how important art was to everything. When you pick up a corporate brochure, there's an artistic equity. When you look at a billboard for, you know, something, you know, selling a product in medical field, there's artistic equity. When people protest, there's artistic equity that even surrounds that with murals that memorialize individuals, with people coming together, with artists that come together to wrap around. Funders need to realize the importance of that. Don't just give out dollars. Funders have to focus on giving out more of a difference with that dollar. Don't just cut a check. I think that that's what's important. And I'm speaking, you know, from, you know, serving on the Pennsylvania Council in the Arts under Governor Tom Wolf. We have to fight more as funders and not fund more as funders. Mm. We need to fund to be catalytic and to dig more deeper into the vessel of how important the arts are to this country. Yeah. Yeah. You personally have been one of the most reliable recorders of at least recent history in our community. It's such an impressive ability to be able to tell a narrative quickly, succinctly, and in a way that engages a really diverse group of people. And you've you've done that most recently with this piece that I keep saying we're going to talk about. So let's talk about it. The uh, (laughs) the Justice for George Floyd video that that you've just come out with. And in very short order, you give us a sense of the anger, the frustration, the energy, the power of the community that is responding. How did that piece come about? And what does it tell us about the act of creativity at this time? So, you know, how it came about, you know, watching CNN gets a little bit tiresome. It is our duty. It is our responsibility to go out and tell these stories. And while I was watching some of these media outlets, I wasn't getting the story how I knew it was happening. I said, I'm hearing all these pockets of stories. How about I get up and I go into the trenches of what's happening? I put on my mask with my coffee filter. I put on my gloves with my spray hand sanitizer. So I'm CDC compliant. And I went to three protests And I began to take photography and really sort of grab these moments. And, you know, when I brought it back and started to look at this footage, I said, okay, how can we tell a story that is epic and that could change the course of what someone thinks about something that's going on? So when I heard 
these little whispers like, oh, whoever organized the march downtown, oh, they were just breaking. They were just doing all types of stuff. They were just setting cars on fire and they were just being a nuisance. Right. I was there. Grant, this protest was two and a half, three hours deep with peaceful thousands of people, thousands. And then I began to edit, but I also began to extract national pieces that could lend to our Pittsburgh narrative. So you hear voices like Tamika Mallory from Until Freedom Organization. You hear the governor of New York. I have a half a second piece of George Floyd's brother screaming and hollering at the top of his lungs when he was kneeling down at the memorial. When you watch the end of the video, I actually took the vocals from George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. And I put a reverb at the end of his word, breathe. And you can hear the word breathe carry out. It says, I can't breathe. Mm. And it echoes out because from an artistic lens, I want his voice to carry with you. Yeah, And I want you to do something about that. Because if you don't do something about hearing him say, I can't breathe, how are you living? Mm-hmm. Where, where are the instruction manuals for your life? Because I want to know. Yeah. You've just asked the question that I think is the question of the past 400 years. You capture a sentiment in the video and I think in your posts from the protests. And you actually say it this way. I've got it in front of me. You say, it hurt to take this shot. Black men are hurting more than ever before. And it's a photo of a black man embracing someone else. And I'm sorry, I don't have their names. He's crying. And, you know, it's a difficult image to look at. And you say it was a difficult image to shoot. Is this the shot you remember best from the photos you've been taking? And then what is the place of it in terms of what's memorable about what you've been shooting? So the name of that photo is, is Crying Shoulders. Mm-hmm. And there was a gentleman in the middle of the protests. Someone was speaking on the bullhorn. And I'm filming this. And I look to my right. I look over to my right. And this gentleman, bless his heart. I don't know his name. I, 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 I don't know who he is. He bursts on the platform. And he doesn't need a bullhorn. He just literally screams at the top of his lungs. We have to fight for what's right. I mean, and you just see his whole face change. And he was so genuine in his scream. Everybody stopped and started listening to him. You could hear a pin drop in a protest. So after he said what he had to say, he got off and he grabbed the first person. I don't know if he knew her. I think he didn't know her. She opened her arms, and he fell into her arms and could not control his cry. You know, that cry that actually interrupts your breathing? Mm -hmm. That hurt me. I thought about my daughter when I took that picture. Because Mm -hmm. when my daughter sees this or shows this to her daughter, they can look at that photo and actually see the pain, and it wraps up the pain that African-American men, black men are going through mm-hmm. now and since 1619, black men have been crying just like that. What would you say to a young Ime out there? It's loaded. There's so many things that I would say, be open-minded 
to understand that what good is a risk if you don't take it? You know, more advice. How do we look at all sides of the coin? You know, a lot of people, they say, oh, there's two sides to every coin. There's not two sides. There's actually three sides. Mm-hmm. There's the heads. There's the tails. And then there are the small ridges mm-hmm. that no one hardly pays attention to. Right. I would also tell myself that mistakes are valuable when you learn from them. And that's something that I realized just growing up as a black man in America, as a husband, as a father, we're not perfect. As men, we're not perfect. We make mistakes all the time. As a matter of fact, Grant, I think I'll make a few more mistakes because I've learned a whole hell of a lot from my mistakes. Mm. It's good advice. And, you know, in many ways, I wish our younger selves had been able to to have that advice earlier on and to be understanding of ourselves more. We've covered a lot of ground and it's only scratching the surface of everything that we should be talking about. Before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, is there anything that leaps out at you that we haven't talked about that you really want to say? Use your voice. We need to begin to create more conversations around these uncomfortable subject matters about what's going on, not only in our nation anymore, it's happening around the world. The issues that we are facing in America, Mm -hmm. you have a responsibility to use your voice in silence is no longer an option. That's beautiful. I profoundly believe that, by the way, and I am so grateful to you for saying it. Um, I love the fact that you began by putting on the table that you're not okay. I think what that forces us to recognize is how deep the pain is. I hope we still live in a society that cares enough about other human beings that we care about that pain. And the vulnerability that you conveyed, I think, is important for us to remember. We talked a lot in this session about the power of art. You referred to art as your pen, your sword, your vehicle for changing the world, but it's also an act of generosity. And Mm. it is the way in which you heal yourself by Mm. finding ways to give back to the world through the gift that you have, which is your incredible gift for art. You also challenged artists, and I think all of us who have some creative spark in us to be working at this time on how not to let... Uh, life get in the way of living. And I love that phrase and I love that idea. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. And and I love the image, by the way, of moonwalking. And even though it may feel like you're walking backwards to turn it into a beautiful thing, you challenged us not to think about the experiences we're having right now as an excuse not to do the work and to check out because now is a moment, as you said, for us to engage as never before. You said some beautiful things as we spoke about the idea of of that phrase, I can't breathe, that you want it to stick with us forever for the rest of our lives. And that yeah. if we are hard-hearted around that, then as you put it, where is the operating manual for our life? And you spoke also about how something feels different for you right now and for many of us. We all hope that's not a delusion that we're telling ourselves, but that something really is different where there is a moment where we can fight for what's right. And I think, by the way, for white people, It is very important that we not co-opt the I am not okay language, but it is 
hugely important that we think we're not okay with this any longer. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be okay any longer with what's been going on since 1619. You also ended with advice. And part of that advice is to remember that mistakes are valuable when you learn from them. When you learn from them. We, We are in the middle of a moment where the country has a huge set of lessons that we have the opportunity to learn. We are being given a huge challenge. 2020 is not going to be remembered for a whole lot of good reasons, but we are being given an an opportunity to learn. And part of that lesson, as you said, is use your voice. Emma, you're an amazing human being. I appreciate you, Gio, man. (laughs) We, We really appreciate what you're doing. We appreciate your voice and just having this platform, this podcast to really shine light in a lot of these dark crevices that have been covered up for centuries. Thank you for that. And thank you for being here and for being so generous with who you are. Thank you, man. All right. Take care, Gio. Peace, bro.